Thank you so much. Please be seated. Thank you. Ah, I have a gift up here. Has my name on it. <laughs> See this, Loretta? Yeah. Are these from you, Chip? Okay, yes. Well, good. Well, thank you so very much, brother. I still don't think they outdo do what you have. Oh, no, is that the same ones you have on? Oh, we're matching. You didn't have on those this morning, though, did you? No. Okay, great. Well, very good. Very good. Well, did you guys have a good, good afternoon? Hopefully so. You, uh, how many of you went home and laid before the Lord? You may lay before the Lord. This, this, uh, we, uh, we used to say that whenever we were telling people. We always just laying before the Lord and actually meant we were taking a nap to, just to do it to sound holy. And uh, All right. Uh, open the Word of God this evening. We're going to uh, take a quick journey here. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. I know as, a, as a Chip was saying... You know, you have to have, whenever it comes to anything pertaining to the kingdom of God, you've got to put faith in it. How many know what I'm talking about? You've got to put faith in what you're doing. Uh, and, and we've talked a little bit, a little bit about this this morning, that, that faith is not just something that is exclusively spiritual. People put faith in people all the time. If you've, ever, if you've ever bought a life insurance policy, you put faith in a document and faith in the person selling it to you, what they said was actually going to come to pass. And you signed your name on the line because you had faith. You didn't have any tangible evidence that anything they told you they were going to keep. You didn't really know if they were going to keep their word and all the words in that document, but you believed and had faith in a document and had faith in some man's words that probably was a very, very flawed human being indeed, but you had faith in him. We've had faith in teachers, as teachers would teach us in school, and they would sit there and they would pontificate and talk about this and that and the other thing, probably knowing that their life was a wreck, but you had faith that what they were telling you was true, and you believed it and you received it as being truth in your life and it began to develop the person that you are. We have faith in, we have faith in people whether or not we know it or not. We have faith in gasoline. When you put gas in a, in a car, you, you have faith that what's being registered there is actually going into your tank. Have you ever wondered if that's really true? I have. I wonder about, I don't have a lot of faith in that. And I don't know why, it's just because I, I guess I'm just weird in that way. But I watch the, I listen to the gas and I watch the numbers and I think, this is not right. They're not charging, they're overcharging me, is what they're doing. You know, we lived in, we lived in Europe for, or, well, I lived in Europe for a long time. And in the last 10 years in, in, in the UK, and we paid $8 a gallon for gas. And I knew they were overcharging me. How can I get an amen from somebody? I was being overcharged. So I've always, I used to, when I come back to the States, I always love putting, putting gasoline in the car because it's just so cheap. And I feel like I'm not being taken advantage of. But we all put faith in things. And the things that we put faith in in this world are all flawed, as we said this morning. People put faith in people. How many know faith in politics is a worthless placement of your faith? But you know what? People will fight for their political views to the point of punching people in the face and throwing stones at people and dragging them down because they believe in a system that they know is a failed system system. You know, a lot of you have been, have been uh, riding that donkey for years. And that donkey hadn't gotten you to where you need to go. And a lot of you been, have been mounting that elephant and riding that elephant for years. And that elephant is not taking you where you need to go. What we need to do is to forget about the donkey, forget about the elephant, and try the lamb. How about that? Because only the lamb is going to get us as a nation, as a people, to where we need to be. Our faith, in other words, needs to be put in the right place. When we were living in the UK, this is another point of people putting their faith in things they know are flawed. Isn't it amazing we can have banking systems crash and fall apart, yet we still go and put money in the bank? 
We can see, we can see, we can see this person, you know, we can see all these, we can see teachers doing wrong things or this and that. And we still have faith in these institutions that we know are inherently flawed. So we're really making a decision to believe something. Because nothing in the natural would let you or encourage you to believe that. When we were living in the UK in 2008, it was, it became, it was big news over there. I don't know how much it was here. But uh, there was a university in East Anglia. That's down in England. We were up in, up in Scotland. And so, um, so down in East Anglia, there's this, this university. And this university was one of the data collection agencies that brought all the temperature, world temperature data together and then disseminated it throughout the world so people could chart the global temperatures and things. And in 2008, it was found out that the university in East Anglia, the climatology department, was the, the email, the, the department was hacked, the emails were released, and it turned out that they were actually falsifying temperature, world temperature uh, climate data. Did you guys hear about that? Yeah, they were actually falsifying temperature data. When the temperature didn't work, they actually would lower temperatures in the past to make temperatures in the present look higher. It was called the fix. In the email, they said, put the fix in because we have to hide the decline. And when they were confronted, the professors and those who collected were confronted, they admitted that they were doing that, but guess what? They keep their job. And people continue to believe and support the climate department. Why? Because people want to believe something. Even when they know things are falling apart and things don't make sense and people are caught and people are lying and politics doesn't work and policies fail, people still put faith in that because they want to believe in something. How much more should we as the body of Messiah be believing in the word of God that's never failed? When God says something, it's true. When God prophesy something it happens when things the bible actually says hundreds of years in advance a thousand years in advance it happens exactly as the word of god prophesies to be true people for some reason choose to believe flawed failed people and institutions rather than put their faith in the uncompromising unchanging word of god this word has been around for two and three and four thousand years and has never failed and has always been proven proven true how much more should we be able to put our faith in what God wants us to do today if what he's always said is true in the first place? He is a good God, isn't he? And so we're going to put our faith today. We're going to make a decision today. And I said all that to say this. So we're going to have to make a decision today of where we're going to put our faith. Now, we can put our faith in doctors and medicine. And we know this is, this is healing school. We can put our faith in doctors and medicine, and that's good. But how many know that doctors and medicine do not have a 100% track record? I know people that were told they were going to die in six months and after prayer they're alive 14 years later. Aren't you, you can put your faith someplace. You can put your faith in the report of the doctor or you can put your faith in the report of the Lord. And those who receive a word, and praise God we love doctors. I have friends that are doctors. I have people in my church that are doctors. And we love doctors. However, when you talk to doctors that are in confidence, they will tell you very clearly, we cannot cure anything. We can kill stuff and cut stuff out, but that's all we can do. We can't cure or heal anything. I mean, our healing belongs to the Lord. So that's where our healing is at. So we're going to have to make a decision today where we're going to place our faith at. Our faith has got to be in God and not in medicine. Praise God. Listen, even when I take an aspirin, uh, and I encourage you to do this, if I have to take an aspirin for some reason, I, even, I take that aspirin in my hand, I hold that aspirin in my hand, I pray over that aspirin before I even take it. Even if it's one of those little, what are those tiny ones called? How many milligrams are those? 81 mil or whatever. It doesn't matter what it is to me. I pray over that because I know at the end of the day, the Lord is my healer. We had a, a friend of ours years ago at, um, who they were attending the church that I now pastor. 
and her husband was taken into hospital. I forget exactly what, what happened with him. And every time they brought the IV in to the hospital room to put the change the IV, the wife would ask for the IV. The nurses would reluctantly give it to her, roll their eyes when she took it. She would lay hands upon that IV, pray over that IV, give it back to them, and have them hang it up and give it to him. This went on for weeks. And after, I think it was the third week or whatever it was, he was still in this coma. And all of a sudden, the room was filled with panicking doctors and nurses. They came running in, and it turns out they had been giving him the wrong uh, medication the entire time. It should have killed him, but for some reason, he was still alive. How many know we know why he was still alive? Amen? Listen, you can believe any report you want to believe. But, you, but people, because people make choices all the time, our choice today is that, you know what, regardless of what the report of man says, we're going to believe the report of the Lord. And the report of the Lord declares that we are healed by the stripes of the Messiah, or the stripes of Jesus. He came to do something. So here in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter number 8, we read verse 1 through 4. This is the healing or the cleansing of the lepers. These lepers come to Jesus, and we find our story in verse number 1. It says, And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleaned, cleansed. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See that you tell no one, except go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded you as a testimony to them. So the story is, this leper comes to Jesus, and he asks him a question. And this is what I want to deal with tonight. It's not a long, profound teaching, but I did want to, I did want to kind of emphasize this for a moment. The man asked Jesus the question. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The question that the man asked was not, are you able to do this? His question is, are you willing to do it? I think everybody who believes in God and believes that God has great power, I think most people believe that God has the ability, the capacity to heal. The question falls most of the time is, is he willing to do it? Is he going to do it? And don't you love the words of Jesus here? He says, I will be clean. Jesus' will is to heal us. We should never doubt the will of God. Now, when, when we look at it in a, in, a, in a human way, is God willing to heal? Because that seems to be the most of, of people's mind. Is God really willing to heal? When you talk to people about that and you ask them, is God willing to heal? They, they begin to try to figure out if God is willing to heal, and they rationalize based upon human reasoning. And that rationale goes, will go something like this. Well, God is willing to heal if, and that if goes, if I'm a good person. Listen, your being a good person has nothing to do with God's willingness to heal you. It doesn't matter whether you're a good person or not. I mean, God wants you to be a good person, of course. But that is not what changes or moves God's willingness to heal you or not to heal you. There are other people who want to know, is God willing to do this for me? And they'll ask themselves the, the question, is God willing to do this for me? If someone says yes, then they'll say, why? And they'll sometimes they'll say, well, based upon my need. God is willing to heal because I have a great need. But the reality, God is not moved by your need either. If God was moved by need to heal people, then guess what? There would be no more sick people in the earth. Because he would heal them all. Because the need is there. God's willingness to heal us is not based upon the fact that we're a good person. His willingness to heal us is not based upon the fact that we have 
that we have done good works or that we have a serious need, more serious than somebody else. God's willingness to heal us is based upon the fact that we have a covenant with God and with his promises. God, we, read, we, said, we talked about this this morning, the promises of God are what? Yes and amen. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us, I'm going to give you the verse uh, for that so we can see, uh, we can see what that actually uh, says. And that's going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. Let's read that so we can kind of get that uh, download in us. 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. The scripture says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he that has established you with you in Christ has also anointed us in God. So the Lord says here, all the promises of God are yes in him, and they're also amen in him. Do you notice that all these promises are yes and amen only in Jesus? In other words, if you are not a believer... If you do not follow after the things of God, you're not in him. And the promises are not yes and amen for you. They're no and no. That sounds like a very hard statement, but at the end of the day, it's true. You see, covenant promises belong to those who are inside the covenant. It's like a contract, only it's a lot lot stronger than that. But if I have a contract with someone, let's say related to a house... They have a right to live in that house because I have a contract with them. Nobody else can come in and just move into that house. They have to have a contract in order to have a right to live in that house. The covenant is the same way. The covenants are inside Jesus. The promises are inside of him. And because of that, because they're in him, we know that we have those things when we ask them of him because of covenant. So the yes and amen contains to those who actually belong to the covenant. It reminds me of a story that I heard years ago. And, um, and it was a, a pastor in Korea. His name is uh, David Youngie Cho. Maybe some of you have heard of him before. He pastors the world's largest church, over a million people. And he was getting his hair cut. And, um, and the, barber, he was, the barber was cutting his hair. And the barber asked him a question. He said, if there is a God, then why is all there this pain and suffering in the world? Don't you love it when people who don't know anything about theology are asking theological questions as if they're going to catch you in something? And so he asked them this question, why is it? If, if God is, is a loving God, why is there so much problem and pain and suffering in the world today? So after the haircut was finished, um, the, the pastor said, I'm going to answer your question now. And he grabbed the man by the hand and took him out into the street, into the alleyway, until he found a man digging in the trash. This man was digging in the trash. His hair was all matted. He, he was a mess. And when they found him, the pastor looked over at the man and said, how in the world could you let that man's hair get in that condition? Look at his hair. It is a matted mess. And he began to excoriate him. And he said, he said, he said why, are you, why are you upset with me? He said, because you're a barber. You've given your whole life to conditioning people's hair and washing their hair and delicing and whatever else that needs done here. You've done all that and look at that man's hair. And of course the barber said to him, he said, I can only help him if he comes to my shop. And the pastor said, exactly. God can only help people if they get into the shop. And so many times people want 
to hold God responsible for people who have willingly chosen not to believe in him. They've, they've chosen not to follow him, not to believe him, not to go to his shop. And if they stand outside wondering why God, who they don't believe in, don't trust, don't have faith in, don't have confidence in, is not actually helping them. We have to go to God's shop to get our spiritual healing or our haircut. Can I get an amen from somebody? This is very simple. The man asks the question, he says, are you willing? If you're willing, then you can. And Jesus said, not only am I willing, but I can do this. We know God has power. I have a beautiful watch. I've had this watch for years. This is a Swiss watch. It's a Rado watch. I've had it for a very long time. I love this watch. My wife and I actually have matching watches because we're Twinkies. We, we do things like that. So we have Twinkie watches and, and, uh, and we, I, ha- I mean, Chip knows I have the power, the authority, and the ability to bless him with this very expensive watch if I willed it. I mean, I, do you believe I can do that if I want to? Yeah, but I don't want to, Chip. That's just the whole point. I, see, he knows my will. I don't want to do that. Now, I have the ability to, I can make this happen right now. So the question is never the ability. God has the ability. The question is always, is he, is he willing to do that? For those in the covenant, the answer is yes and amen. What about people outside covenant? If people outside covenant are blessed by God and they, they do have supernatural healing in their life, it's because of mercy. And God does do merciful things beyond people's natural understanding. He does bless and minister and heal people outside of covenant. And many times it's ba- their healing is based upon relationship they have with people who are in covenant. When covenant people petition God on the behalf of someone who isn't in covenant, many times God has mercy. But that is truly up to, to, to God in His sovereignty to choose how He's going to do that. And honestly, that's outside our purview to know when He's going to do something like that. But with those of us in covenant, when you're in covenant, you have a right to healing. It belongs to you. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of our redemption that God has given us. He's redeemed us, spirit, soul, and body. He has provided that for us. And we know this to be true. Let's look here in in Luke's gospel in chapter number 13. This is what I call covenant speak. It's it's the way when you hear this, you know he's talking about uh, covenant. In verse number, in chapter 13 of the book of Luke, in verses 15 through 16, the scripture says this. And then the Lord answered and said unto him, he says, you hypocrite. Now, the, the, these, the, the Pharisees are attacking Jesus and they're, and they're accusing him and, and trying to pull him and trying to pull him into a, a, a hypothetical situation. And he calls them hypocrites. Let me just say this to you. Jesus is, a, is, is, a, is, is loving and he's caring, but he also just calls things straight out and calls them true. He speaks things as they are. And you need to get a, a view of Jesus that maybe you don't necessarily see him as. And, I want, and I'm just going to kind of paint that really quickly for you. I'm not giving you something new. This has already been painted for us in the scripture. But most of the time people see Jesus as a meek and lowly shepherd walking in, in, in very simple type clothing with maybe a lamb over his shoulder or, or leading a lamb by the hand, but that was Jesus prior to the death, burial, and resurrection. After the resurrection, we have a picture of Jesus that the apostle John saw in the book of Revelation. He saw the resurrected Jesus. 
And the resurrected Jesus, the Bible says, he has hair as white as wool. He has eyes as a fire. Out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. His feet are like brass. His voice is like that of mighty and many waters. You have a resurrected Jesus ready to do battle on your behalf. And we need to begin to identify with Jesus as the resurrected Savior more so than the one who walked before the cross. We have the teaching of the one who walked before the cross, but the one that is operating and working in your life today is the resurrected Jesus who has already conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's already purchased your salvation. He's already borne stripes upon his back so you can be healed. He's already done everything he's going to do to lead us to a place of living in total and complete victory in God. And that is a wonderful thing to do if you can traverse, if you can make that journey, if you can take that step over and begin to see Jesus for the way he is after he resurrected from the dead. Well, what, what a wonderful thing. Can you imagine? He's, he, is, he, he, is t- he, he descends and into the, the uttermost bowels of the earth. And the Bible says that he led captivity captive. That he took the keys of death and hell and the grave. He defeated the devil. He made a show of him openly. The Bible, one, one translation says he, took all, he ripped all of the teeth out of the devil. I tell you what, that is something to be excited about. That your Savior has actually, not only has he conquered death on the grave, he has kicked some devil butt and made things. Can we say that here in California? Okay, he's done that. And he's, and he's made a way now for each and every one of us. Jesus says here, he calls us his hypocrites. He says, does not one of you on the Sabbath day lose his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water it? Don't you have compassion on on your animals, even on the Sabbath day, because they were upset with him because he healed on the Sabbath day. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think it, think of it, for 18 years, he lo- to be loosed from the bonds on the Sabbath day? Whenever he says, daughter of Abraham, that's covenant speak. Jesus is saying, are you telling me that you will lead your animals to water on the Sabbath day because they need it. But this woman who has a covenant with God, you would not allow her to be healed whom the devil has bound on the Sabbath day? You see, because she had covenant, she had rights. Notice most of the time in the Bible we see, the Bible gives us stories, and from the stories we have the principles of how the kingdom works. Because Jesus would say, the kingdom of God is like this. And then we would get the illustration, and he would show us how the kingdom was, giving us the principles of the kingdom. This is one of the only times we see this happening. Notice, the woman did not come up to him and say, and plead to be healed. She didn't come up to him asking for anything. She was off doing her own thing, and Jesus looks over, and he sees a woman of covenant, and he says, shouldn't that woman who belongs to covenant get a healing in her body? And, of course, they were left dumbfounded. If you keep on reading, they don't have anything to say. And I love that, too, because Jesus always left his accusers without any response to what he had to say. And the lady gets her, gets her healing. Why? Because she was a woman of covenant. Because she had covenant, she had rights, and Jesus went to her, and she received that which she needed. So in covenant, we have rights and privileges. And those rights and privileges are accessed by our faith in the Lord Jesus. Let's go last. Let's go to the book of Mark. Chapter 16, verse 16, or verse 17 and 18. And we know these verses very, very well. Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 17 
through 18. And these signs shall follow those that believe. Do you believe? All right, so there are signs that follow us. And these are important. Signs that follow us. Let me just clarify something in that previous verse. Jesus said this. This woman referring to the covenant woman. He said, excuse me, should this woman not be healed whom Satan has bound? Sometimes people who are meaning well, especially in religious circles, will tell us that God makes us sick to teach us things. And we all know, I think, in this church that that's not true. Jesus identifies who brings the sickness. The devil does that. He says, the devil has bound this woman up. The scripture tells us this. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But the thief, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Sickness, for the most part, comes and it steals out of your life. It kills in your life. And those things are coming from the enemy. There are many people. I grew up in a church that actually taught me. They were very confused. They taught me that God not only is the one who made me sick, but God was the one who also could heal me if he wanted to. That sounds a lot to me like a kingdom divided against itself. The Bible says if the devil, if God puts in the devil and also then delivers you from the devil, then he's a kingdom divided against itself. And if the kingdom is divided against itself, then it will not stand. God is not the author of putting sickness on people to teach them things. Isn't it amazing to me, uh, isn't it amazing to me anyway, that the people who actually say that are the first ones to run to the doctor to get help. If God is making you sick to teach you something, then you need to stay sick and learn. Just stay sick and learn. Don't go to the doctor. Stay, if, God, if you believe God is making you sick to teach you something, then stay sick and learn and don't go to the doctor. As a matter of fact, ask God to bless your whole family so you can all learn. And nobody would even think to do something like that. Why? It goes against everything on the inside of us. I mean, God built in our body white blood cells that attack things that bring sickness. Why? Because God breathed into us his will, he even put a, he put a device to fight sickness in our bodies to fight against those things. Then these other things come in that try to hurt us and they call them free radicals. And these free radicals come in and try to hurt us and tear us down, but our, our white blood cells fight them to try to defeat them. And I love the fact that God put that on the inside of us that our bodies would perform and do the function that he actually put on the inside of us. No, if you believe God's doing that to you, then you need to stay there and don't go get help and don't go to the doctor. Nobody even imagines doing something like that. The enemy, if you're going to really put faith in something, you have to understand how the kingdom works, of course. You have the enemy who has certain things he does, and you have God, the things that he does. And they're not tag team partners. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't work together. Like, okay, devil, you work on him for, for, for a couple of years, and I'll come along on the backside, and you back off, and then I'll, and then I'll heal him. That, this doesn't work that way. They have distinctive roles that they play, and if you get the roles confused, then you'll never know exactly who's doing what. You'll never be able to stand in faith because you don't know if I should believe to get this off of me, if God's doing it to me, or whatever it might be. God is not the author of terrorism. God does not come along and blow people up to teach people something. I was talking to somebody recently, and they were saying, well, I'm sure God... You know, what, what, what is happening here, you know, God will, um, it, God will work it out and it's going to be, uh, it's good for me. It's, you know, it's got to get glory out of it somewhere. But at the end of the day, when people, after you go off several weeks, several years, you talk to them, where, where the glory at, where does God get glory from it? There never is any. Unless there's a great healing that comes out of it. That God will get glory. God gets glory in the healing, not in the, in the sickness. 
The scripture tells us here, he says this, he says, and these signs shall follow those that believe. If you believe, then these signs will follow you. You will find yourself in a place where you will be able to bring healing into people's lives. He says, in my name, they'll cast out devils, demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. One of the signs of the believer is that we will lay hands upon the sick and they recover. There are a lot of groups that lay hands upon people today and do different things like they get it all from God. The devil steals things from people, from God, and replicates them in his own way, trying to make them out to be something that he's doing. But God is the one who authored the laying on of hands. We find that all the way back in the, in the Old Testament. God's anointing, the Bible says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, that he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. All that were oppressed of the devil. Not some, but all. Can you say all? So he healed them all. So much so that the Bible, people could even touch Jesus' clothes and people would get healed. Uh, The Apostle Paul would send off little pieces of his clothing and he would send those off and people would get healed just from the clothing touching people. I may have told this story here in the past. I'm not sure, but I'll go ahead and tell it again. I was ministering in Poland a few years ago and uh, I was teaching in a Bible school and I'd been going on for about half the week and this, the, the director of the school wasn't there one night. And I taught almost all night without him there. And he came to me and he said, he said, listen, I, I'm sorry I was gone all this time. However, um, one of our students, they're preparing for their son's uh, death. I was like, oh, my goodness. I said, how old is the, 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 the boy? And the boy was like 11 years old. And I thought, that's terrible. What's happening? They said, well, he has some special condition. And this condition affected his lungs. And he had... He had not stopped coughing since he was born. And, and basically, he had just been breaking his ribs and doing whatever. It was, it, it was a horrible, horrible story, a terrible situation. And, and, of course, the family was completely, you know, beside themselves because this family had not slept for 11 years fully, all the way through because of the, of the child. And it was a terrible, terrible story. And he'd come to the place now to where he's, he's coughing up blood more regularly. And the doctor said, let's just go ahead and prepare to put him in the ground. And as I was teaching, after I heard that I was teaching, I felt impressed the Lord to tell me to take my tie and to cut my tie off and to send my tie home with them and for them to lay it on the child. Now, we, uh, that comes out of the scripture where they would take pieces of Paul's um, prayer cloth and things and he would send it off and people would be healed by that. And I just felt impressed to do that. Now, I had to deal with my flesh here because this was my favorite tie I was wearing that day, okay? So the Lord tells me to cut my tie off and I, I'm like, oh man, this is my favorite tie. Because all I could see is cutting it, right, cutting it like that. And, uh, and then the Lord gave me an idea. Praise the Lord. He just told me to cut the back side. I don't know if you, if you, if you ladies know there, there's two pieces to the tie. There's a the front one and there's a the little one in the back. So I took the little one in the back and I cut it off. And I still have that. So when I wear it, it's frayed up here. You can never see it. It's all frayed. And as a matter of fact, I have another jacket, another blue sports coat. I didn't wear this one uh, tonight. But if I open it up like this, you can see where I've been cutting pieces of my sport. I haven't told you about that, have I? Yeah, um, I have pieces of my sports coat cut out here that I'm giving to people. At any rate, um, so they take this, this, this tie to this, uh, this house, and, um, and the, next, the next day, we come back to class, it was a night school, and we came back into class, and there's a family in the back with a little boy sitting there. And halfway through the first, the first lesson, or after the first lesson, they came up to me afterwards, <laughs> these faces as bright as they could possibly be, and they say, Pastor, we want to we introduce you to the family, and the little boy 
And we put this, we, we took your, your tie, we put it on our little boy. He didn't cough a single time last night. There's no more bleeding and the doctors are completely perplexed. He has never in 11 years not coughed. And last night he was cough free. We believe he's healed. Now, obviously I had nothing to do with that. I didn't touch the boy. I didn't speak to the child. All we did was just say, you know what? I believe the word to be true. This is a family who lives in covenant. This covenant, this is a little boy who belongs to the covenant of God. He needs healing in his life. And we sent the tie off, and God performed what God always performs. He performs His miracle. The Bible tells us here that we would lay hands upon the sick, and they'll recover. We'll send pieces of our garments off to people, and they will be healed. This defies any natural understanding. I think God did it that way on purpose, so that we will not be able to put our faith in any one single person. Our faith has to be completely and totally in, in God. And in doing that, we find ourselves being able to walk in a place of health and healing. The part I want to focus on tonight is this, and that is that God is willing. God is willing. His power is unquestionable. He is willing to heal all those who belong to Him. And He says here, He says, and those that believe will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. So tonight we're going to do something a little different. We're all going to to practice what the Word says. We're going to pray for each other. However, I have a few people I want to pray for Tonight, so could I have my um, maybe, my, maybe my pianist or guitarist back up here to give us some music, so um, so we can prepare ourselves. So as they're coming here, I'm going to reemphasize this. He says, "Lord, if you're willing, you can." And Jesus said, "I'm both willing and I can." So the willingness of God needs to be there, so that you can you can put your faith in that. Somebody once said this: "Faith begins where the will of God is known." When I know God is going to do something or will do it, then I can put faith that He will do that. Well, you can know that His will is to heal. As a matter of fact, when you look throughout the Scriptures, every person that came to Jesus and asked, Will you heal me? He said, I will. He never told anybody no. His answer was consistently, I will, I will, I will. And for religious people, I have bad news for you, and that is this. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change, which means His answer today is the same as has always been, I will, I will. I will. So, you say, well, is it going to happen right away? That's the part we can't answer for you. It might happen right now. It might happen an hour. Sometimes the Bible says they were healed that very same hour. They were healed a day later or whatever. So, sometimes it happens instantaneously. Sometimes it happens in a little bit of time. But at the end of the day, what's important is that what God's promise actually comes to pass. All right. Okay. You give me a little bit of music, brother. Let's, we're going to just go ahead and stand up together. And we're just going to just take a minute and we're going to put ourselves in a place where we're going to be able to uh, just to receive whatever the Lord wants to do. So we're just going to pray for a minute. Father, we're so grateful. We're grateful, Father God, that you are willing to heal, Lord. That you're willing to heal, Lord, and that you are able to heal. Willing and able. We thank you, Father God, that your question, your, your power is, is not in doubt. And your willingness, Lord is not in doubt. For we are also children of covenant, children of Abraham through the death of your son, Jesus. Because of that, Father God, we thank you that we have access to your covenant, the covenant of healing for us. We thank you, Lord, that your word declared unto us, Lord God, that you sent your word and healed us and delivered us out of our destruction. You declared, Lord, that we would lay hands upon the sick and the sick would recover. Tonight, we choose, Lord, to believe your word. We choose, Father God, to follow your way. We no longer choose to believe the failed and flawed words of men, the promises of 
professors and political pontificators and pundits. We know, Father God, we live in a flawed, fallen world full of people who have lost their way. We acknowledge today, Lord God, that there's only one truth that has always stood and continues to stand. That is your word. So, Father, we stand firm in your word tonight, Lord God. We we determine, Lord, we're putting our faith there and only there. So we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name.